it didn't listen to me. It walked out of the thicket, it turned around and looked at me. They looked up and in this tree, there was a monkey man. And the monkey man jumped down out of the tree and started running away. And suddenly they're right in front of the car. He slams on the brakes and manages to stop and he's skidding because it's not quite, you know, um, gravelling. And for literally for about a second and a half, they just stood there because they don't know where to go. And you tell them panicking, they're like ripping up thing. Their, their, their face is like twitching. to Bigfoot Society, a podcast where we focus on cryptids, the strange, and the unexplained of this world. If you've got a story or something weird to share, send an email over to me at bigfootsociety at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support this show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the Bigfoot Society. And now, on with the show. All right, Bigfoot Society, we've got the privilege of talking to Mr. David Becerra tonight. How's it going, David? Very good. Awesome. I've been wanting to talk with you for a while because uh, you're one of those guys where your name comes up every once in a while and uh, just for different reasons. Um, the the first, well, uh, before I get into that, I will mention, okay, so you are the owner, correct, of the Expedition Bigfoot Muse, uh, Museum, not to be... Yeah. It's not associated with the TV show. We're just going to put that right out in the open. Uh, That's correct. You are not associated. So a lot right. of people I've seen are like, oh, like the TV show? No, not at all. Right. <laughs> it's it's a totally different animal. So right. um, just want to put that out there. But, David, you've got quite the history uh, with uh, looking into Bigfoot. Uh, let's start at the beginning where... You know, how did you get into this creature and get so enthralled with it to want to make your own museum? How did that happen? Um, I grew up in uh, Miami, Florida, back in the late 60s and early 70s. And probably around when I was about nine, 10 years old, I guess that put me around fifth grader, I guess, sixth grade, somewhere around there. I would be taking history and biology and they were talking about the evolutionary timeline and cavemen and Neanderthals and dinosaurs, learning all that stuff in, in school. And then I started seeing all these, see, my dad was always watch the news. So I would sit down with my dad and I watch the news and uh, God, it was ex all the time when we were getting stories about the Florida skunk ape, Bigfoot. Um, it was all like a lot of them. They were bringing in trappers. They were, they were interviewing police officers park rangers just regular people and even even in my young mind going to school and seeing this stuff on tv uh, there was like a major conflict right there with my young brain i was going wait a minute they're telling me this thing in school and then people are telling me they're seeing these huge caveman like creatures hmm. in, in florida not that far from miami and it, that, something clicked in my brain a lot. And I was like, well, somebody's not telling the truth because they both can't <laughs> live in the same space. Right. And, and I think even though I hadn't thought it out, something clicked in my brain. 
at that young age going, ah, there's something, there's something wrong here. And I think that's what really got me interested. And of course that, that I started consuming what few books there was during the sixties and seventies. And, um, that's, that's really what kicked it off. Hmm. After that, uh, your bio says that you actually became uh, associated, you became an investigator with the Florida chapter of the BFRO. Um, mm-hmm. What was that like going on? You know, I'm, I'm assuming there was like a first expedition that you went on in order to to become, you know, part of the BFRO. Do you remember how that first expedition was? Yeah, and, and I think... I was very fortunate because even though at my young age, I was reading, consuming as much things I could about Bigfoot. And there really wasn't that much in the 60s and early 70s. But there was a lot of things about UFOs and aliens. So to to bide my time waiting for Bigfoot stuff, I would consume a lot of uh, not fantasy, but, you know, books about the uh, the uh, Hills um, abduction. I started consuming those things as well. And um, I didn't really get into like space operas or space science fiction as much as I got into like reading factual stories of people's runs. So as I started hearing more and more, then the, the Bigfoot stuff started coming back in. And I raised a family. I worked, got a job. My kids got to be uh, got to be fairly grown up. Mm-hmm. And uh, on my 50th birthday, I treated myself, me and my brother, to a Bigfoot expedition put on by nice. the Florida chapter of the BFRO up in North Florida. And uh, well, we had a great time. We showed up lots of nice people on the expedition. And uh, at the end of the expedition, actually two people had sightings, you know, during the expedition. I didn't. But uh, at the end of the expedition, they asked me and my brother if we wanted to become investigators because there were so many reports coming on. They just didn't have enough people to answer them. And that's that's another side of this story. And uh, I said, sure. And, uh, you know, when you consume Bigfoot books and you see documentaries on TV, you're really you're getting like a two dimensional picture of what's happening. But boy, when, when you start to interview witnesses firsthand, you go to the house, you go to the place where it happened. You go um, to the campsite and meet the witnesses. And that's what I did. I, I didn't like to I would talk to him on the phone and I actually had the time where I could jump my car. And sometimes my wife, we go make a weekend out of it. I go to the witness's house and they sit down oh, and wow. tell me the story. And I started to get, I started getting, I mean, right off the bat, I started getting complicated stories and observations that witnesses were telling me. And uh, I was like, wow, this is, you know, I don't, I don't remember hearing too much about this. So I would, on the side, I would text or uh, message other investigators Hey, you getting this kind of stuff? You know, do you ever get this like weird stuff? Orbs, flashing lights, mm. appearing, disappearing. Oh yeah, but we don't talk about that. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, we don't. We don't like to talk about that. I was like, why? Do, why don't you talk about it? Well, they kind of flush that stuff out of the system. I go, well, that's like that's like that's like being an investigator in a murder, and you you get something that you don't like, so you just leave it out. That's not how investigations work. And it soured me pretty quickly, even though I hung with it. I had other investigators. We were like, they waited, hey, did you get this? Yeah. Did you hear that too? Yeah. Hmm. And uh, so there's actually, unfortunately, there's a, there's, a, there's a front of the Bigfoot world that you get, the acceptable, easy to stuff, easy to digest, fluff. The mm-hmm. real stuff is the untold stuff. 
the stuff investigators get that never gets to the TV crew or the documentary people, the stuff that uh, Bigfoot authors, they see it, but they omit it from the stories because it's too weird. They want to sell books. So I can assure you there's an underworld to this that, uh, that doesn't make it to the general public. And uh, I've made that my mission that I'm going to expose that stuff. Wow. That's why, that's why I really love what I do. Um, the, the, the museum is located right on the highway, right on a main drag. And we get so many people that drive by and have this kind of this, this uh, interest, but never had time to go to Bigfoot conference or had time to, to uh, go get a hotel room and go to this big Bigfoot festival or something. But the, by God, they got time to whip around and come into this museum. And I get the chance to introduce uh, Bigfoot factual evidence to them. Uh, just happened to be driving down the road. And I, I'm very fortunate to be in that position where I'm not trying to re relearn investigators that are kind of stuck on one scenario. I get to introduce it to kids and young adults. And I get a chance to reach out to them before, before they get this really hardcore narrative, this ape narrative in their mind. So, and that is what made me cue into Clifford Lebrecht and the, the conversations I had him with him on the phone were just so. Oh my God. Okay, well, we're not getting there yet. Oh, yeah. you, you, you know, you, you're like, I know this guy wants to go from the back stuff. Like, listeners have heard episode 150 where I just go super deep into um, Iowa Bigfoot Information Center. But we're going to hold off for a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, oh, that's fascinating. So tell me, like, what is, I'm sure people are, are curious um, what's a good example of the stuff that isn't, that is being, you know, like censored out? Yeah. So I, one of the first, um, oh my goodness, probably, I bet it was only like my fifth investigation. Went to a young man's, uh, I actually, it happened to a young man when he was 12 years old, near Ocala, Florida. And, um, he, it was early in the morning, it was a school morning and, he said, I had walked around the back of the house. My mother said, take the garbage out. So I had this bag of garbage. And I said, I walked out the back and the sun had just come up, but it was, it was light outside. Walk around the corner of my house and there's this bear bent over digging in the garbage can with his back to me. And he said, I just froze. Like I got this bag of garbage. I'm just froze. I can't move. He said, I didn't make a noise, but all of a sudden this bear knew I was there and stopped and then stood up. And then turned around and looked at me and I realized, oh, my God, this thing, it wasn't a bear. And he said, and then we locked eyes with one another. Of course, he's down here and he's way up here. Right. We locked eyes with one, one another. And then he said, and, and then I, and I went in the house and told my parents. I was like, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> I said, we're missing a little something there because I know that would you the eyes of the window to the soul something happened normally happens if you lock eyes with something you get some kind of a feeling i said what happened when you locked eyes with him that must have been quite something he said yeah i don't like to talk about that oh. and i said i'll tell you what man to man sometimes it's just easier to just to type it out in the email you know when something emotional said having to talk about it so why don't you just send me an email let me know what happened he said okay i can do that i said okay so I cut it short, got up in the morning, came back, ding, there was an email. And I'll never forget this email because it changed. It started, it was the attack that started me going like this. 
with other big footers were going like this. It was this tack that kind of got me off the trodden, well-trodden path, I guess. And he says, uh, I opened up the email and, and, and it was just a list, like one paragraph. He said, I looked at this things in the, in the eyes and this thought jammed in my head. I, said, I was frozen. And this thought just jammed in my 12 year old brain. He says, there's no way I thought this. I didn't, I wasn't into science fiction movies. I didn't know anything about big, I'd heard about them on the news, but I never gave it a thought. I was just taking the garbage out, man. I was still not even fully awake from sleep the next morning for the next night. I was just trying to get to the garbage can. He said, this thought jammed in my head and it was just one sentence. It said, you, parentheses, man, are not from this world, parentheses, planet. And then it turned away and walked off. And he said, when it, once it turned away, I was like unfrozen. I could move. Because once I saw it, I was frozen. I couldn't move. And he said, I said, I went back in and I told my parents what happened. And uh, I can't, I think he said he, they believed him. But he, here's the funny part, too. He says, I didn't come from a particularly well-read family. And he said, um, I'm not even sure if his father, he finished high school or not. They were just a, like a really just getting by a working class family. And he said, after that happened to me, my whole life took, took a turn. He said, I, I started reading books on theology. And now this guy, he just, from 12 years old, I just started consuming all these books. And he sent me all kinds of books. Um, I've got back in my office amongst all the other books. But it, it so when you talk to this guy, and of course I talked to him, what, probably 25, 30 years after it happened. And he could, he could really put it in just beautiful, precise words. But being a UFO guy, I don't want to say I was a UFO guy, but I'd studied UFOs and abduction. That kind of, when he, when he introduced that to me, it wasn't like an alien. It wasn't like a weird thought. I'd already learned about um, aliens. And, and uh, that kind of, and as a matter of fact, and then I, I typed up the uh, report and sent it in. And they go, yeah. We can't publish that. You have to take that out of there. I go, wow. well, why would I take it out of there? He was adamant. And, it, you know, his name's not in there. We keep keep it all confidential. Yeah, we can't put that in there. And, and I started to think, hmm. I started to get soured on it after that. And then I had another report uh, from a guy in Georgia, Cochrane, Georgia. Talked to him on the phone. He's and uh, his daughter reached out to me. So he didn't like talking about it, but it was really important. She wanted him to tell somebody. So I got on the phone with this guy and he hit, he was driving his car in Cochrane, Georgia. It was like 11 o'clock in the morning, sunny day. And this thing, he's going over this bridge. Tell me the name of the bridge. It's in the report. And he says, this thing comes from the, the other side of the bridge. And there's nowhere for me to go. I have two little shoulders on this. It's a two lane bridge. I got nowhere to go. And I hit the brakes and this thing's standing up right and I hit this car, scored the front of my El Camino, I think he said he was driving. And I hit it and it flew off the bridge into the into the dirt or whatever on the other side oh, wow. off the bridge. He said it was about five feet tall. It's and he, and he said it had a snout on it like like a wolf or like a bear snout. Sent on two legs, had two long back legs, and he had two shorter legs. And uh, he said it looked like a dog walking on two feet. He said it's only about five and a half feet tall. It wasn't real big. He said I didn't want to wouldn't want to hit this thing. 
and it flew off. And I said, I get, I pull my car over. I get out. The, my car is dented, but it's not smashed. I can still drive it. He says, I get off and I run down and look at this thing. And people heard the neighbors or whatnot, heard the brake squeal. They come out of their houses, the neighbors, farmers. And they're looking at this. They're all looking at it. There's like six people standing around. But it was in the early 80s. Nobody had phones. No cameras on their phones. Right. And and he can hear one of the neighbors going, so that's what's been killing my livestock. Oh, man. And another goes, yeah, I lost a couple of, lost two goats. And one guy, yeah, I lost a sheep. Uh, I lost a calf. He can hear him talking behind him. So that's what's been killing our livestock. So. He didn't. I don't think he even had a cell phone. He had to go. Oh, somebody went into the house and called the game warden. Okay. And uh, I don't think he waited. He went home. I can't remember. Anyways, the game warden. He even gave me the game warden's name, and he said, wow. "I got a call the next day." I either he called the game warden or the game warden called him, and uh, yeah, because I don't. I think he left before the game warden came because he had asked the game warden. So what was that thing? What was that? And Gary Ward said, I've never seen anything like it in my life. I don't know what it oh, was. Wow. So, so he gave me his name and everything. And, and uh, I think I sent him some sketches, some of those Linda Godfrey sketches of Dogman. He said, that's that's it. It's not, what was that thing? But it didn't have like real long arms. It just had little arms that were carried in front of it. And um, so I, I typed out the report, sent it in. Yeah, we can't, we can't, we can't publish that. I was like, what? It's not like I cherry picked it. Somebody, it's just another investigation. That's when I, I was like, eh, I was, I think it might've been my ninth or 10th one. I think I did a couple more reports after that, but I'd kind of lost my love of it because now I'm really part, I'm a cog in a fake machine pumping out fake information. And I didn't feel good about that. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. And I'm going to be honest about it. And you're not going to tell me because if I cut this out and then you release it, then it's turned into something that it's not. So uh, I'd rather tell the truth. So, yeah, I'm not part of that organization. I'm friends with a lot of people because a lot of people and organizations, they get reports like that. And when they try to release them, they get the same attitude that I got. So, um, yeah, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Oh, that's a rabbit hole you could go down. It's like, what happens to the paranormal woo reports that the BFRO gets? They just get they flush them. They, there's a little, there's a little box. You can hit hallucin- hallucination, insane. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so it, you can opt out from, oh, I read the report. Oh, it disappeared. Well, he's obviously hallucinating. Click, goes away. Wow. You won't oh, you away. Even hear about him. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, this is funny. This is so funny. Um, so you're not with them anymore, for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm. How does one go about starting a Bigfoot museum? What's that process like? I, I was so fortunate that I, I grew up where I grew up. And my dad and my mom loved taking their kids to do fun things. Uh, I was really fortunate. So my dad took us to all kinds of Florida roadside attractions and uh, monkey jungle and parrot jungle and the sequarium. I think we, they took us to Disney World one time. Was, even back then, it was pretty expensive. And uh, and museums. My dad took me to a lot of museums. So I remember when even when I was a kid, I'd go to museums and I'd see something, how they had it mounted. And I, 
and even before I opened this museum, I would go, oh, wow, how did they mount that to the wall? Oh, look. Well, I got one of those, like a little thing that you can move it around. And I remember looking at exhibits and how they made them work, never thinking, just being interested in it, never thinking in a million years I was going to open a museum. So when it came time to open the museum, I already had this little library uh, of how to do things and make it look professional, not just staple posters to the wall, because that ain't going to work. If, if anything, if you try to open a big museum, Bigfoot museum, and you just do half-ass, you're going to get a half-ass response. And what you're actually going to end up with is people coming that don't, maybe on the line with whether Bigfoot's real, and you'll kick them off on the wrong side. So you, if you're going to do it, you have, you're, you're responsible for for what they think when they leave for the most part, right? So um, anyway, uh, we moved up here about 10 years ago. No, actually more than that, about 12 years ago. And I moved up here thinking that there was, we look at, when you look on the internet, there's only like two sightings up here in this area. I'm thinking, man, I, want, I always wanted to get out of the city. It was moved out of Sarasota. My kids were old enough now where I could move. And I just wanted to live in, in a log cabin. I spent a lot of my younger years, all my summers in a log cabin up in Lake LaCloche. I just love being in the woods. I love the fresh water. I loved, I just love the woods. So I knew when my kids grew up and they could stay in the city, I was going back to the woods. So my wife and I moved up here. I was uh, back still in the restaurant business. And um, people would come to the restaurant and they'd say, hey, uh, I was a bartender. They'd say, hey, Dave, my, my kids are coming up this week and they're bringing my grandkids. What's a fun thing to do up here with them? I go, well, you can do this and you can do that, you know. And I kept thinking, God, I get this question so many times up here. I sure wish somebody would open up like a little family attraction up here because people are looking for something to do. And uh, like I did, like when my kids were growing up, I took them to all a lot of fun things that my dad, you know, like he did to me. I shared it with my kids. So I kept thinking, man, I wish somebody would open up a little museum or some, some kind of fun little thing. And I already had a collection of casts. Um, and some neat things, photographs from my investigations. Of course, not nearly enough to open a museum. And I started throwing around with my wife. I started sketching some stuff out. I go, man, we could open up a... I was actually thinking about getting an RV and making a little mobile museum and like going to festivals and stuff, right? Oh, that's it, ironic. Be yeah. If you, you know you the too? history of... Uh, no, if you know the history of Clifford Lebrecht, it's oh, very yeah, yeah, ironic, yeah. yeah. And... uh I kept thinking, but the more my brain thought what to put in it, I realized that they don't make an RV big enough for all the things I want to put in it. Exactly. So uh, I was driving home from work one day, and there's this building right on right on 515 for rent. I was like, oh, my God. Is God talking to me or something? I mean, how does a building just show up right? So I put my car in there. I go and look at this building. It's, this, it's an old restaurant that's been closed down. And I'm looking in the windows. I said, let me just call them, right? Let me just, they call, come down the next day, open it up for me and look around. I look around and it's, it's not in the greatest of shape. It's an old pool hall with spit on the walls. Bathrooms are absolutely, ladies rooms are not so bad. Just imagine what an old pool hall looks like the men's room. Terrible. And some of the ceiling towers are falling down. Old carpet. But I looked around and said, the size is perfect. It's perfect. One woman said, hey, uh, talk to my wife. So you know what I'm thinking? She's like, oh, you're, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, let's let's do it. And I already had a few sketches out. So I sketched it. 
a few things out, and I don't know how, but I had a knack for this. I didn't know it then, but I know it now that for detail and for mm. the way things have to be, when you go look at one exhibit, how you look at another one, the way the angle has to be, I have no idea where all this stuff came from. I was like, like the guy that was I was before was some kind of a museum exhibitor or something, and I, I'm like reborn, and I don't know it. He's in there somewhere. I know it sounds weird, but how in the world I know exactly how the sounds are going to go at my first museum, I have no idea. But my brain knew. I was just, I just knew, I didn't have any doubt where things had to be, how they had to be mounted, the color of the carpet, um, the flow, how people would flow. I think I learned that from the restaurant business. And people expect cleanliness, like they come to a restaurant, it has to be clean. It's got to be clean, clean. So our rest, the museum is very clean, which took a lot of work. I spent five days just in the bathrooms, scrubbing and painting. I thought my wife was going to have to throw a net over me. Because I'm in these little stalls for five days scrubbing and painting. We had new toilets installed. And I didn't think I was claustrophobic until day five. I was about to have a meltdown. I got to get, I got to finish these bathrooms. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, they're still not perfect, but boy, God, they're, they're a lot better when they, than what they were. But, and um, we opened up like 2000. We, I, I should say this. I moved up here thinking there weren't too many sightings. Here's another re revelation in my life. Okay. And I'm still, and the sign arrives. Oh yeah, the sign's here. We're not open yet, but we got to have the new sign. Take the old sign down. My brother comes and helps me screw this big metal sign. Expedition Bigfoot, the Bigfoot Museum. It's not up for a day. People are coming by. What's this going to be? Ask. I tell them it's going to be a gift shop. I didn't even tell the, the landlord. I just told him it's going to be a wildlife museum. Oh, that's, <laughs> that sounds interesting. A wildlife museum. And uh, so we get the sign up and the next day my brother goes home. I'm in there staining. I'm like two, still three or four days, maybe a week before opening, staining and putting wood and hooks up and stuff in the gift shop. Knock, knock, knock. And I open up. Is, is this you? This is going to be a Bigfoot museum? Yeah. Can I tell you a story? Oh, wow. I got, I got, I'm no going, way. I got paint in my hand. I go, Yeah. I'm going to put the can and put the lid back on the paint. Yeah, come in. I'm, I'm Dave. Hi, I'm whatever. Yeah. So I live I live right behind here, he says. Uh, and um, I'm out checking my cows. And he says, I, I they, they go to this creek. And I, and I look down and there's this gigantic footprint. This is the wintertime. There's a huge human footprint in the mud. He says, I'm looking at this thing. I'm thinking, that's not a that's not a bear. This is, he's a local guy, born and raised, hunts. He knows what a print is. He said, I took that tractor, went all the way back to the house and got my wife and brought her all the way back. He said, what does that look like to you? She says, are you kidding me? And then he tells me, he says, my sister-in-law lives right over here on Back Pine Way, which is the next road over from me. I only live, I only live eight miles from the museum. That's the next road from me. She lives over on Back Pine Way. And she tells me she's got a whole family of these things moving through her yard in the, in the fall during about apple time. Now, he's telling me back pine. I don't know why I tell him. Jesus, that's I can almost throw a rock there from here. And then it started. That was, as soon as the sign went up, it started. Hey, they knock, knock. The phone was ringing. Knock, knock. Notes on the door. Oh, my goodness. I came to the startling revelation that that there's way more sightings in Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky.
in these Bible Belt areas uh-huh. than we think they are. Because these people, when they're born and raised in a community and they see a Bigfoot, everybody they know is in that community. Mother, father, brother, cousins, boss, ex-boss, all my friends I go hunting and fishing with. When they see a Bigfoot, they might go home and tell their wife or their husband, and then they shut up about it. Because the impact to their life could be profound. Not could be, it would be profound if you were the crazy man that saw a Bigfoot. And I realized, well, there's way more sightings up here uh, than, than I'm hearing. And now there's so many pins on the map in this north, the Blue Ridge uh, LJ area, that I can't put any more. The map would fall in on itself. I can't, I can't map anymore on the big map in the back. And I realized there's really not nothing. There's nothing that's not that special about here. If it's here, they're they're in Tennessee and they're in Kentucky and the north. It's the same thing all around here. That people see these things all the time, but they have nowhere to go with their story until some guy like me puts a sign on the front along the side of the road that says Bigfoot Museum. <gasps> they have a place to go and get it off their chest. And it started still. I still hasn't stopped, man. I I post a. Uh, I post a sighting on Facebook and I still got people. This is what my brother saw. Is this what you saw, Karen, in 1985? This is what my Uncle Jim saw. The comments and the, the information's in the comments section. You read it. It's like, oh, man, I saw what he's in Dawson County. And it's just it, it's now it's just overwhelming how many people actually see these things and you don't hear about it. And, and again, that broke another barrier down that these things are rare, rarely seen. There's only a few of them. Negative. There's a lot of them and they're white and they're brown and they're black and they're little and they're big and they have babies and there's males and there's females with droopy breasts and there's females with perky ones. There's females with wide hips and there's females with fit skinny hips. Um, there's some of them that have a, a broad flattened nose and then they have some that are just stand off their face. They don't look, they look really, really human like there's some that are mean and there's some that are sweet that will save people's lives. I've talked to all these people. Some people that, that they actually will go out of the way to save your life. So it, it, it's it's opened, it, it's kicked the, the primers down for me. There's so many sightings now. I can't, there's no way. I might talk to 5% of the people that drop off sightings. I have stacks and stacks of papers in my office. That people, I can't get how, to. Uh, how are you, how are you uh, preserving these, David? Oh, they're in my office. I, I put okay. them in envelopes. Yeah, okay. I, don't throw any, I don't throw anything away. Okay. I keep them all. And some people. Nice. And and, and, and some people are law enforcement and prior military. Wow. And uh, you know, some things, uh, they're just too disturbing. I, I can never talk about them. And, 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 and here's the funny thing, too. You know, when you get into this, you think, oh, maybe I'll be part of the program. That discloses the, we'll prove that these things are real. You know, that's, it's kind of the human thing, right? Oh, I can, well, we can prove it's a mystery. We can prove it. But the further you go down the line, the information line, the further you learn, the more you understand that can never happen. And that I've, really? had people, I've, I've learned, I've had people call me, a guy on Grassy Mountain. He said he shot one when he was deer hunting and he just wounded. He got a place where it just squirmed around. There was blood in the grass. He said, when it comes back, I'm going to take this thing out. Will you help me market it? I said, hell no. I said, don't ever call me again. I said, don't shoot one. Don't try to be the hero. Because if you think the powers to be, I'm going to tell you 
They're going to ruin your life. Let it be. Not only let it be because it doesn't deserve to be shot, but let it be because it's, it's not going to happen. The outcome you think is going to happen is not going to happen. Anybody that shoots one of these things and, and actually uh, gets a body, they're going to be somehow, there's going to be drugs planted in their house. And you better shut up because you could spend a long time in prison for all the drugs we find in the house. Those firearm, too many firearms, so you shouldn't have this. They're going to find a reason to shut you up. And it's because some of the information is very, very disturbing. These things are complicated like we are. And some of these things are kind. Some of these things, they're indifferent to us. And some of these things really, really don't like us. And they might not like us for a good reason. And uh, when you realize that we have no natural defense, maybe if you're in a platoon of 10 guys and you're all loaded to the teeth, you've got defense. But most of us ginseng hunters or hanging up your clothes to dry, you're back plowing your yard or planting roses, you, you have no defense against them. And so, so if you really knew what they were capable of and how stealthy they are, and this, they, they possess strange abilities, they, they can somehow manipulate science that we do not understand yet. It's just science, it's not magic, but they can do things. I've talked to people that have seen them do things that we can't replicate. So we're, we're basically defenseless against these things. So I understand now why it has to remain in the realm that it is. And uh, it took me a while to understand that. A few things from law enforcement, a few things from military, and a few things from seasoned Bigfoot investigators that have seen things. I go, oh. So I continue on with what I do. But if anybody brought me the body, I'd say, get it out of here. It's going to ruin your life. Do you like, do you love your kids? Do you like your grandkids? Do you like a normal life? Then forget about proving it to the world because it is going to bring you nothing but grief. Has anything, has that happened where like someone has tried to give you, like donate something to the museum and you're like, I don't want this because if I put this on this, well, you're not going to tell me anyways, but um, if, if you put it on display, you'll get shut down by the government. I've not Has had there been stuff. Yet. No. Okay, cool. No, thankfully. Yeah. Right. Yes, but if anybody brought me something that uh, could, could cause me grief, I would turn it down. People bring us hair samples and, uh, and things of that nature, but that's, that's, that's no matter how, I don't care how many hair samples you get. You can have a whole clump of hair. It's still inconclusive. You can have a photograph or video with Photoshop these days is still going to be inconclusive. Oh, It'll be yeah. interesting. But a body, a dead body, you know, it's going to be kind of hard to disprove that or uh, even a body specimen or a part of an arm or something like that. But, yeah. Do you think someone has has dispatched of one and has has had a body at one point? Oh, certainly. Yeah. yeah. I've talked to a couple of guys that have hit him. The one guy that hit the little dog man. Oh, sure. And then I talked to another two more guys. One hit one, and he was coming back from his. He dropped his girlfriend off, and he was coming back, and he hit one at night, and he thought, "Oh man, I hit a bear." So he gets out of his car. This was in Florida. Gets out of his car. He's looking at this thing, and the headlights. He's going. It looked like a man, a hairy man, laying there. And he's thinking, "Oh my God, I just hit a person." Right. And then all of a sudden, this thing opens its up eyes and goes, whoo, and sits up. 
and looks around and looks at him and he said, and it just jumps up and takes off. There's no way that is Harry and the Hendersons. No, like that's a real story. That's a real story. That's amazing. Yeah. And I talked to, uh, oh my God, I talked to so many people that have almost hit them with their car. Um, just oh like, like I said, goodness. as I went by, like I stepped in front of my car and I just swerved my truck and I could see all the hair on its thighs as it went past me. I could, And I can't believe I didn't even hit it with my mirror. I'm trying to think if I talked to anybody that shot, other than that one guy that said he shot one. But um, I don't remember talking to anybody that's actually mortally wounded. I've read stories uh, and heard witnesses describing them shooting one. I did talk to uh, an interesting and again, you know, the flesh and blood and then the woo, what, the mm-hmm. fact is it's both. It's both flesh and blood. I talked to a kid or a man who was like 10 years old, nine or 10 years old. And he was somewhere in middle Georgia, somewhere just outside of Atlanta back in the 80s. And his parents had just bought a, his dad, he was a, his dad was a single father. And he just bought a home in a cul-de-sac. There was no other houses around. It was like the first house mm-hmm. in the cul-de-sac. He said, I used to play in the creek. I had two older sisters, but they never wanted to play with me. She's on, so I'm down by the creek. My dad's at work. I'm playing down at the creek with my little match car cars down by the creek. And I can hear somebody walking up behind me through the woods. And I thought it was my dad had come home early from work. I thought I didn't even I didn't even look up. I just kept playing. But he said it was sounded funny while I was walking. And I and even at my young age, he said, I turned and looked around, and here comes down the through the woods comes this gigantic hairy man. And he says, the reason it was sounded weird is because it looked like it was crippled. He said, it's, I can't remember if it was right or left, but it was, it's, let's just say for conversation's sake, it was the right leg and the right arm. And he said that it was dragging, almost dragging its right foot. And he said, uh, that's why it was making a strange sound. It was wounded, and he said it was holding his arm and his leg as it walked. And he said it was looking down. Didn't even see me. I saw it first. It was looking down, watching where it was walking. Obviously, he said because it it didn't want to fall. It was already wounded. I didn't see blood. He didn't mention blood, but he said it looked like it had been. It, it was either crippled or it had been wounded. And he said when it finally got close enough and could see me, it stopped. And it was like and it made a face like, oh crap, this kid can see me. And he said, I'm still sitting there on the ground looking at this thing. And then it just goes like this. It just goes. And it just tilted it, looked at it, and it looked at me sideways. Immediately, he said, I knew that this thing was not going to hurt me. I knew, even at that young age, that it, it, we had just crossed paths accidentally. And he said, then it just kept, then it just walked easy past me. And so when he got past me, it did turn on one time, look at me just to make sure I was still there and walked off into the woods. So that story, along with others, like the ginseng hunter who saw one crippled up, he said the nails, the hand was so crippled up and the nails had grown over and uh, and its leg was also uh, crippled up. And he said the foot was crippled and the hand, and it looked like it had been born that way because he said the nails were so long, they were, uh, they were curled over like it was like that way from birth. That's how, how crippled it looked. And uh, I had Jim Whitehead, a great illustrator. I think he's in Oklahoma. He sketched me. I sent him over the story so he could sketch me a, uh, a sketch of it. And he says, "My," he says, "You know what this story reminds me of?" And he sent me the sketch, and he said, it, "It reminds me of my father. My father had polio, 
And he said, uh, that looked like this thing was suffering from polio because it, it affects one side of the body. It cripples the hand like polio does. And so I did a little bit of investigation on what spreads polio and it's polio spreads via uh, feces. That's how it gets around. And I thought, well, that, that, that sounds uh, logical. Anyway, I, don't, I can't say that's what it was, but I can tell you that these things are definitely flesh and blood. There's no doubt that they suffer ailments, they get sick, they get pregnant, they breastfeed, they die. So they are flesh and blood, and they also can do things that we don't understand. And um, I, yeah. I can tell you a little, couple little stories about that if you want. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. Go right for it. Uh, oh, you I want to hear right now? I, yeah, I mean, now is a good now is a good time as any. Totally, because sometimes you, you forget to do it. <laughs> right? Have you have are you familiar with John Carlson and Adam Davies' story? I think it happened two thousand six in Oregon. Do you know uh, Do you know who uh, no. Adam Davies is? He's been on I History know of Channel. Adam Davies. Yes. Yeah, nice guy, and so does John yeah. Carlson. So these two guys, investigators, were at a Soha. Southern Oregon habituation area with Matt Johnson, Dr. Matthew Johnson. You familiar with who he is? Yes. Yes. Okay. He's yeah, a controversial, yeah, yeah. controversial figure, and but I've met him in person, and he's told okay. me some stuff. He's told me some stuff in gotcha. person. Okay. And uh, so they're with Matt Johnson in his area, and I think Adam smokes, and uh, Dr. Dr. Johnson is really specific. If you can't have any weapons, don't bring a flashlight. When we go out with these things, we're going to camp there. And they come out of the woods, and they'll touch you while you're sleeping. You can hear them jumping around, the little ones moving around And uh, at night. So it's just getting dark. I don't remember how many days there. It might have been this. I think it was only like the second or – no, it wasn't. It was like towards the end of the stay. So I think they were there for like four days. So this would have been like day three, night three. Nothing had happened too much. And they're sitting there. Uh, and and Adam, Adam wants to have a cigarette, so they have to go away from the main campsite over behind some cars, and Adam's going to have a cigarette. And they're sitting there, they're, they're talking. It's dark. And at the end of the drive, there's only one driveway in and one way out of this. It's a campsite, but it's just like a little turnaround in the woods. It's dark. There's no houses or anything out there. And uh, they see this little, this little light appear at the end of the driveway. And... Uh, they're like, but what is that? They're both looking at it. All of a sudden, this light gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And they're like, what in the hell are we looking at? And and and, if, and they can also see that the whiteness this actually has become red now. So they went from a light to like they're almost looking at something else. Now and I, I know what now I know what it was. And they know it. They're looking at the, a sky some some other place. It's like a red space now. And it's not even touched. It's hovering above the ground. And uh, some other things happened. Matt came over and Matt said, I'm just going to bed, you know. And they were like, well, <laughs> well are you going to bed? Do you not see what's happening over there? And as they're sitting there watching, these two little things come to the edge of the portal. I'm going to call it a portal now because that's okay. Cool. Yeah. These two little black creatures with glowing red eyes jump out of this portal. And now these two guys are like, they have no weapons. They're not allowed to bring any weapons. All he's got is a flashlight and a lighter. That's all he's got. 
there's nowhere to run. What do you do? Run in the woods? You're better off where you're at. And these two little things, I got these white, shiny white teeth. They start running across. He's, he's running across it, and he hits the flash. He, they were illuminated by the the portal, whatever it was. As they run at him, they hit him with the flashlight, and the whole thing just dissipates. It's really? gone. These things are gone. The image of this portal thing, whatever it is, is gone. And they're like trying to catch their breath, like, what the heck was that? And as they're talking, here it comes again. It appears again, and it gets bigger. And you can see the red sky. And here's these two little things, and they jump back out and charge him again. Oh and they just goodness. did the same thing they did the first time. You hit him with a flashlight, and poof, it all goes away. They're like, well, as they're discussing again, it happens again. I don't remember if it happened three or four times, but it happened more than twice. Same thing. And the only thing that seemed to make it go away was this goofy flashlight. I have no idea. I don't think they know why. So uh, I think they got Matt Johnson out of bed discussing what was going on. That's not as important as when they get back. Both these guys, they're, they're flesh and blood. At least Adam Davies, says he's a Yeti guy. He's been on expedition Yeti. And I can tell you this because they've already made public announcements and videos explaining to what happened. I've spoken to both of them. There's no, there's no mistake what they saw. It wasn't, they didn't see a bear. There's no way it wasn't what they said it was because there's nothing that could happen out there in the woods in a remote area. That's not what it what it said. And it didn't see it once. They saw it two or three times, the same thing unfolding. I was like, oh, my God, really? And then I, I'm getting other reports from other ladies that see portals in the sky. And this is right about the time all these swirling things started to appear on, on the news. You know, these, oh, it's, don't worry, it's just a rocket going astray, which probably some of them are. How long ago was that? This happened in, I believe it was 2006. Okay. At the Soha. And then gotcha. my wife meets a guy who saw a Bigfoot uh, uh, walk into a walk into a portal. It just walk, it just disappeared. Then I have another guy reach out to me who's a Bigfoot investigator with the BFRO, and he said he talked to a policeman. He said it stepped behind a curtain, but there was nothing there. It's, it just disappeared into really. A I'm like, dude, I'm not ready for this. I'm even though wow. as I'm learning as I'm going on. I still resist a lot of this stuff, you know. I'm, I'm a why though? What? Why? Because it, it feels like you've you've always been drawn to this sort of stuff. Like, why are you resisting it? Because I really, you know, portals. I mean, what do you do with that? I mean, uh-huh. how do you um, how do you? There's no way to package it. I'm, I'm a human like everybody else. I like to try to have okay, some sure. picture of what's happening. Yeah, and I'm realizing that the more I learn the less I know. And hmm. the smarter I think I am, the, the more I realize that school has not prepared me for this. And uh, basically, when you're trying to figure this thing out, you realize that school has given us, say we're trying to navigate our way to Mars, and we go to school, and they give us the uh, directions to a toaster oven. Like, Here you go. So we don't have the tools. We were purposely not given the tools to understand and figure this out. So you're really starting from square one, even at 40 or 50 years old, when you start getting this stuff, you don't have like a big library of things. So what you end up doing is just talking to as many witnesses as you can, because that helps to put a little bit of a picture together uh, for wow. you. You know, and I, I didn't even get into the part where I talked to people that seen Bigfoot wearing clothes. I've never heard of that before. I have never heard of that. 
ever. Yeah. I was doing really? some research uh, to do a presentation, and it turned yeah. out I had to trim it down. I had to leave that out. But there's all kinds of old reports of Bigfoot's wearing not like like nice clothes, like old scraggly clothes. Really? And then I met a guy. My first report about that was I met a guy who's him and his brother were going somewhere. They were driving through the big plains out west. And uh, it was dusk, and they're driving along, and there was this huge field on the right side. And this guy was – the guy I was talking to was – he used to work – he was contracted by the government in Florida to – he was a hunter, and he was a tracker. And he would be contracted by the government when somebody escaped from prison, like in Stark Prison or one of these – Oh, no way. In Florida, he would go in with the dogs and horses, and he'd find these guys, the inmates. So he's an interesting guy. And he says, we can see this thing running through the field. And my, my brother and I are looking at this thing going, what in the hell? That's not, a, that's not a horse. And he said, we're driving like 50, 55, 60 miles an hour. And this thing is actually keeping up with us, but we can't quite see it. But we realize it's coming on an angle and it's going to intersect the road. If it continues on, it's going to hit the road. And as they're driving, they're looking at this thing. And he said, when this thing hit the side of the road, it was so flipping big that it, hit, it came to the side of the road and just stopped right as our car. It didn't cross in front of us, but he said it stopped. He said it was so big, standing on two legs, covered in hair. It was so big it could have reached over and tapped me through my open driver's side window. That's how big it was. It was huge. And he said, here's the part that I, I don't understand. I go, what's that? He said, this thing was wearing overalls. I said, what? Mm. He said he was wearing overalls. Old pair. And, and you know, I didn't, ever, I didn't get to ask him. I didn't think to ask him, were like really tight or was it was it loose? Right. I, I didn't ask him little questions, things I think of after I'm done. The guy's gone. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, so I didn't know where. But then I find out there's all kinds of historical stories of Bigfoot's, some Bigfoot's being seen wearing clothes. Without saying they're trying to dress up, they're kind of scraggly old clothes. And then, uh, are, are you familiar with Bert Nunnally, or Barton Nunnally? Yeah, uh, Kentucky, Kentucky uh, in humanoids. Yeah. yeah. He's so on I, the list to talk to. He sounds yeah. like a cool dude. So I'm not going to tell you his, but his mother described looking in the window. This is This is a little piece of it. Okay. His mother described looking through the window was this thing like a person, but it had a a a face of a like a German shepherd or wolf, oh, wow. and it was wearing a blouse. Hmm. So when I, when I tell you we're going wow. down the rabbit hole, yeah, yeah, I I, I don't I don't understand that. I uh, I met a guy who. Do you have time for a quick short more another short story? Sure. I'm just just trying to blow your mind. I like telling people this kind of stuff because these stories are out there. They're 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 out there, and unfortunately, the mainstream guys. I don't know if they're they don't want to talk about. They don't have an answer for it. I'll tell you, I don't have an answer for it. But I'm telling you, I've met these people in person, and I'm looking. I'm not like wow. I don't believe anything. I'm looking when you're telling me a story. I'm looking at you. I'm looking at your wife. Are they paying attention to you? Are they laughing? It's just going to be a joke. Yeah. And um, so I had this this old guy. I think I was maybe open a year at the museum. And this is this is profound. And he goes to the museum. He's a well-dressed fella. He's probably in his 70s. He's got mm-hmm. his wife. It looks like his son, his son's wife. And they got like two or three grandkids. 
there's like a big group of them. And they go through the museum. I'm, I'm happy to be working that day. And he says, uh, I said, hey, thanks for coming. I appreciate it. He goes, are you the owner? I said, yeah. I'm all happy. Yeah. Yeah. He says, uh, he says, I, I need to tell somebody this. I came up here to tell a story. And I, I want to tell somebody this before I die. <clears throat> now, I can understand. Like I said, he's probably in his 70s. Sure. And he says, uh, I was raised right here in LJ. Oh, I said, okay. I'm thinking, I'm not, I, I don't know what I'm thinking, but it's just, I've just heard a lot of normal stories. And he says, uh, you know where Tolona Ridge is at, Tolona Mountain? I go, yeah, there's a big campground up there right now. They just built it a couple of years ago. He said, yeah, I used, to, I used to go up there with my friends. And he said, my my neighbor at this farm, I had a, we lived on a farm. And my neighbor, even though he was a ways away, I knew him from school, but I didn't know him really well. And he says, uh, I had just got a van. This, this was probably would have been maybe in the late 60s, early 70s, I'm guessing. Mm. He was still in high school. And he says, me and my neighbor kid that I knew from school, but I didn't know really well. And these two sisters that I'd known for a long time and another one of my friends, we'd all piled into my van. I just got, and we went up to the top of Tolona Ridge and we had a little cooler of beer. And he said, we're just going to do what high schoolers do. We're just going to go up there and talk and drink beer and tell stories. <clears throat> we get to the top of the, we get to the top overlooking the ridge and he says, uh, we haven't even had a beer yet. I said, I just parked the car. He says, I'm sitting in the driver's side. And then one of the sisters is sitting there. He told me their names, sitting next to me. But I, I couldn't write him down. He kind of caught me out by the door. And I wasn't going to excuse myself to get. So he says, she's sitting in the, in the passenger side. And then right behind her, sitting on a bench, is her sister. And behind me, sitting on the bench along the length of the van, is this kid that I knew from school. Sure. And, and all the way in the back is another one of my friends from school that I knew pretty well. And he says, uh, we had just parked the car. I hadn't even gotten a beer yet. And I'm, I'm talking to the girl. After I packed, I'm talking to the girl and she's looking behind me. And all of a sudden her eyes get this big and she starts to scream. And she's like panicking. And he's like, what? No. So he turns around to look right behind him. And where this kid from school that he didn't know really well, where he was sitting, the, the, his neighbor, next farm over, his, he wasn't sitting there anymore. What was sitting there was a big, hairy man. No way. Inside the van? doing this. It's looking around at all of them. It's panicked. It's not looking like it's going to hurt anybody. It's looking scared, like it was surprised. And he says, it's looking at, it's looking at me. It's looking at her. <clears throat> And my brain's trying to figure out what, <clears throat> what happened to my friend. But it, it scared him so bad. He reaches over to the door handle to open. He's going to bail out. And his hand accidentally hits the interior light switch. And, he, and the interior light comes on. As he's struggling for the door handle, his brain goes, hey, the light's on. So he's just about to bail. And he turns around and looks. And the kid is back. That thing is gone. The kid is now back in its place. And it's doing the same thing. He's doing the same thing. He's looking around like, what, what, what? We all saw it, he said. It was no mistake. And, of course, my brain is reeling. And and I don't really want to <clears throat> interrupt the guy. I question yeah. him, you know, interrogate. I just, he just came here to tell a story. Right. And it's interesting that he gave me their girls' names. He told me, we left there. We all left in shock. The kid was back. <clears throat> Whatever this thing was, was gone. 
and the two girls didn't come to school for a while. And when he finally saw them, he found out that they couldn't, they couldn't function, the two sisters. And their mother had to take them to a psychologist in, in Atlanta to get these girls help so they could sleep. They were having nightmares. I have no idea what, what the psychologist could say to these girls, but he told me their names and everything. And, uh, and of course, I'm, my brain's reeling. I'm just like, I've never, I've never taken anything like that before. But as I'm looking, I'm looking at him, I'm looking at the family. And they were like, these people, they were like, a, they were like a front. Those kids weren't walking around. They weren't kicking their feet. They weren't looking at their phone. These people are like, this is my grandpa. Go ahead and say one stupid thing to my grandpa. The kid, everybody. And I was really, I was really amazed, not only what he was telling me, but the scene that it was set in. And I knew this, this fellow, what he was telling me, this happened to him. And I, I, I know I never thought to ask the guy, was it wearing, was it wearing the kid's clothes? I was just like, Oh, my oh God. that's it. That would have been a great question. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, no doubt. I've, I've wow. struggled with that. That would have been an important oh, clue. But I never yeah. thought to ask him until like after he yeah. left. And, uh, and I, you know, I didn't even, I didn't even get his name. I didn't write his name down because it sounded a lot to me like what I get from up here. A lot of people, the minute you reach for a pen, it's over. How do you spell your last name? Yeah, maybe I'll come back. Forget it. People are like, hey, Dave, why don't you get a camera? I'm like, no, you don't understand. If you want to get these stories, it's got to be free-flowing. They're not interested in proving to the world. They just want to get it off their chest and talk to somebody that believes them. They're not interested in you publishing their story. So my brain has become, this is an excellent exercise my brain has become so good at remembering details now. Um, what year, how big, um, uh, what, where, what was the wildlife management area, how many were camping, what time of day. So I have to remember all this stuff. I do it on the phone. Luckily, when I'm talking on the phone, I can write it all down. But when I have a witness talking, I rarely ask, can I grab a pen? If there's one there, I'll ask them. I'll just say, what year was this? I don't get their personal information because you ruin it. So, yeah, that's, so that's some of the other stuff. That's stuff I struggle with when I lay my head down at night. And then you read other stories from other witnesses that parallel this. And you go, oh, man, this rabbit hole, it's so deep. And it's, it's really, it really, what it's really telling us that we don't know anything about our real natural world. We have, they, in school, they give us just enough junk food education that we can go out and get a job, get a driver's license pay your taxes and just quietly die and go away. It's pretty much what they want us to do. They really don't want us to have this information. And when you realize how unusual, how frightening these things are, these things happen right close. You don't have to be way out in the remote Pacific Northwest. This happens to people live in small towns in Tennessee, Kentucky, Florida, Georgia, Oklahoma. It happens when you're hanging your clothes out in the backyard or when you go out to lock your chickens up. At night, you have a run-in. I talked to a lot of people that have seen whole families of these things. The little, the one, the little girl, Bigfoot, boys holding up the fence. Mom's standing over here. Dad is standing just a few feet away, and he's glaring at this child witness that's went out to get the eggs. And like, uh, and the little girl's grabbing the hands, picking up the bottom of the fence, hands them to little boy Bigfoot, who hands it to mom, and she's got a whole handful of hens laying hens and the father Bigfoot 
I find it so interesting is looking at this this small girl, this young girl who's witnessing this, like, go ahead, move, and I'll kill you. And when I when I said, well, why would something so big and so powerful have to like um, put this on a young girl? You know, even now at a at a at age, she's a woman now. She's crying because she's reliving the fear. And you think, well, that just doesn't seem, you know, as for us humans, it doesn't seem fair to traumatize a child. But that happens a lot with some of these big males. They look at a young child like it's a like it's a deadly snake. Um, they're just as mean and uh, foreboding to a child as it would be to a man with a gun. It doesn't happen a lot like that, but it does happen. I've talked to a lot of witnesses. So like when I say some of these things don't like us, man, I mean, they don't like us a lot. You know, I can't imagine the stuff you have in the envelopes that doesn't get that stays in the envelopes in your office. Yeah. The, the stories you're telling me are insane like they're crazy man they're they're awesome wow and, like and i'm not the only one that wow. gets it yeah i know yeah. other other investigators get in but they stay hush on them and i really appreciated john carlson and adam davies making a few videos with that and even even the interviewer was having a hard time god they're like nagging uh reporters from tv like they don't believe the story they'll just do anything they can to like try to follow them up but these guys did not want to talk about it they really they just didn't need the heat. But when they came back, uh, Dr. Johnson started talking about it. And they found, well, we're just going to have to come out and just and just tell them what happened. We're going to have to give them our side of the story. And their their side of the story was just like, wow. So, yeah, I, I think if I want somebody to know that we're just getting started in the Bigfoot world, I would say, you know what they're trying to tell you that these things are? It's way better. It's way better than that. It's not a rare ape. You got to, it's much, much cooler than that. And that's what drives me to, um, to do what I'm doing until the day I'm so old, I can't do anymore. I just, and, and the museum is built so that it, it's not boring. I want you to be as excited about this as, as I am. And I have to do it in a way I can't bring you a real Bigfoot and take you out in the woods. So I have to click those young minds. I've got to make sure they have enjoyable, amazing time. Because when they leave, I might be the I might be the first person that ever introduced them to the Bigfoot subject, and you bet you have to make it right. You got to do it right. So, do you ever get reports for things that are obviously not Bigfoot? Like I saw a weird pale thing crawl across the road, or like a something that's deaf. Like you're like, whoa, this is not Bigfoot, and I don't know what category to put this report in i i, I the, the closest i get to that are dogman reports and i've had one mothman report from a two mothman reports yeah one from a catholic priest and uh one from an actual mothman witness uh up in point pleasant i got a chance to talk to her and we actually have a uh we actually had sibylla Irwin, an awesome forensic artist sit down with this lady and she did an amazing this is what mothman actually looked like there's so many stylized versions of what it looked like, but um, so we have we have to do that. But look, if if Mothman's real and Dogman are real, if you're still thinking that these things are all some kind of ape, I don't I don't know what to tell you. I mean, this is these are all clear indications that there's something else going around here that we don't have control of, and uh, the official narrative coming from the historians and and the uh, archaeologists probably flawed to say the least 
Okay, so I I want to start getting into uh, to Clifford stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, listeners, I really hope that you've heard that episode already. Um, let so let me summarize it really quick. So um, I was reading David Redley's book about Iowa cryptids. He said something in about the Iowa Bigfoot Information Center from the late 1970s, which sent me on a multi-month investigation about who were these guys. I looked at, got all these articles about there was a, a flap of Bigfoot sightings all over the state of Iowa in the late 70s. It was crazy stuff. Um, then I found out uh, Clifford was no longer with us. He had some Bigfoot taxidermy statue that was made, and I, I uh, got his book off of Amazon. I... I called up the guy who sculpted the taxidermy. Uh, he's still alive. I talked to him from Minneapolis, and I even tracked down uh, his partner, uh, Kevin Cook, who is still alive and was able to talk to him. Uh, Cliff is is unfortunately, you know, rest in peace. He's no longer with us. But um, you know, I so what I would love you to do, David, is just give me the whole story. Uh, of like how you met Clifford, mm-hmm. how you got the thing in your possession that's in your position possession that's related to Cliff. Um, I just want to hear that whatever you can tell me about that story because I, I think it's going to fill in so many gaps um, of that whole thing. Yeah. So um, I think I think I saw a picture of of the sculpture, Cliff's sculpture, and I, I found his name. I found his name with the sculpture. I I don't think I'd ever heard of of the guy. And I thought, oh, that is an amazing sculpture, right? So I did some digging to find his name and his mailing address. And I knew he was a he's a he's an older fella. Hmm. And I thought, yeah, and I, I I don't didn't see a lot of online presence from him. So I got his address and I actually hand wrote him an old school letter. Oh wow. <clears throat> and a tip for anybody of an investigator, once you find somebody, an older gentleman, a witness. Um, if you write them, handwrite them a letter, I don't mean write on an email and print it, handwrite them a letter and send it to them. You're going to get a much better response because they, they respect the effort you made to write them a letter. Just instead of shoot them a quick email. Wow. Now, so anyways, it, it just works better. Sure. So uh, he got the letter and he sent me back a letter and with his phone number. And uh, so he did, I don't think he had a Facebook presence at all. No, I don't think so. It's no social email. It's no mm-hmm. social. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> so I got a chance to talk to him. And I think I was talking to him before I opened up my first, the first museum. And I needed a sculpture. And uh, so I, I, I was talking to him. And I don't think I'd realized what, what, about his, his Bigfoot attack until I had talked to him. I was like, there's a story behind Cliff. And um, the attack was absolutely amazing. And like I said, I'd already been through a lot. I've already learned about all these strange things. So they were already in my library. And when he was telling me things, he didn't know me from Adam. And he was telling me all these things. And I was like, oh, my God. He's, he's, he's telling me all the things I've heard before that nobody wants to talk about. And wow. he's saying the same thing I'm saying. Why the hell these mainstream guys aren't talking about this stuff? I don't know. He said, I don't even go to conferences. I've backed out of the Bigfoot world. They just keep puking out this junk. And got people believing stuff that's this it's not true. And I was like, yeah, and I, I totally understand. Cliff was old school. 
And he was kind of like your grandpa, like like my grandpa. Okay. And he would just tell you the way it is. And uh, then he didn't care if it was socially, if it stumbled on it or he said something, a bad word. He didn't care. He was going to puke it out (laughs) just the way. And let's just say Cliff was not ready for prime time in the way he was. But the stories, and I knew that. I knew I couldn't expose, or no one could expose Cliff Lebrecht to the world because he was old school, man. Wow. So um, <clears throat> we were talking about the, the sculpture, and he told me he turned down a, an offer for $80,000 on eBay. And I was like, well, I knew immediately that this thing was out of my reach. That's legit, I, yeah. Yeah, and I wanted him to know that I said, I mean, it's so good. It belongs not in your cellar. It belongs in a museum where people can exactly. see it and appreciate it. It's beautiful. Yeah. He told me about the eyes. It took him like a month just to get the eyes right. We had to order them from Germany or something. Oh, are you serious? Yeah, the eyes. It took him oh, forever. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he said it took him forever to get the eyes. He had to get them, I think he said from Germany. And I can't remember what animal, but they finally found a company that he was. Did, he, did he say why? Because like he had seen the eyes himself during that attack or? No, because. Uh, he didn't say why. Yeah, what did he say? Okay. He, he built the model. He built a model before his attack. That's right, because so, it was it was based on a sighting from uh, the Pacific Northwest. Right. And they also had brought in a guy from Alaska to verify how the sculptor looked, which is very interesting. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so as, as interesting as the model is, which yeah, I love right. it, I love it. When Cliff Lebrecht starts telling you about what happened to him, you're just like, oh, my God. Are you aware of any of this? Of this so you literally, David, are the the spirit of Cliff being able to tell his story right. because it's like it's not out there, dude. It's right. so like anything you can share about his Bigfoot attack mm-hmm. is him living on. So please definitely go so, ahead. No matter where I go, I can't figure <laughs> out where this happened. I don't I, I don't know if it had this happened in Michigan but I asked the people that was picking up, did this, did this attack of his happen here in Arkansas? No. no wait, I'm wait, thinking. hold on. Hold on. Because it's, it's his sighting, right? Yeah. It happened in Clive, Iowa. Did it happen in Iowa? It did. It happened in Clive because I found that out and I was like, holy mackerel. I lived next to this guy in Valley Junction literally wow. like 10 minutes away and I never knew he was there. That's it amazing. happened in Clive. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. No, thank you. I'm going to write that down. Yeah. Now I know where yeah, yeah, I yeah. couldn't find it anywhere. And I thought, just right. And I know, he sent me recordings. So I have his voice telling me the story. You have to recall. Oh, my oh, yeah, gosh, I've got to tell you the, oh, the story and his oh, thoughts wow. in his voice. Yeah. But I had long conversations with him as well. And he was telling me things like, um, well, I'll just tell you the, the whole story. Okay, so, go ahead. I guess this happened in Clive, Iowa. Right. And, uh, he said, I had a big picture window. And in the back, yeah. I had there's trees back there, and I had a firewood pile. And he said, one day, I, I see this, this animal out there picking, picking the bark off of my, off the firewood and eating like the bugs or something that was in between the bark. He was eating something that was in the bark. You know, like, oh, my God. This thing was coming back every couple of nights. And he said, here's the strange thing. He said, after I'd be, I'd be waiting for it. And he said it wasn't huge. It was only like five and a half feet tall. It wasn't one of these huge ones that, that people see. It was like man size. And, we, and I've talked to, I've met, I've 
done plenty of uh, investigations where they were man size. Right. So he's uh, he's like, wow. So uh, he says, hey, well, the weird thing is I'd be waiting for him at night to come back. And I reach over, get a, get a sip of my coffee, look back, it'd be there. And he's like, how the hell did oh, it wow. get there? He said, you don't understand. It can't just be there. It has to walk across my yard. I just looked away for a second and then it's there. He said, I'd watch it. I look over and grab something and turn back and be gone. He like, how? There's no way it can be just, I would see it walking off or I'd see it walking in. He said, this thing was just there. And the minute I'd look away, it'd be gone. And I'd look away again and I'd look back and be there. He said, that's when I realized there's something else going on here. And uh, this, this happened, I don't know how long, a week, two weeks, it was coming back. But he only saw one up to this point. So uh, he was a hunter. He had hunted before, yeah. but he was not, he was not, he didn't have the skill he thought to bring this thing down. Right. So he found a hunter in town, some guy he knew. <clears throat> and this guy said, okay, I'll come over and shoot it for you. No way. So Cliff's like, the night is supposed to happen. He's calling this guy. He's calling this guy. Are you coming? Are you coming? And uh, he's drunk. He ain't coming. He's oh, backing no. out. And now Cliff's like, yeah. There's a, I'll do it. I'll do it. So in his backyard, he has this old car that's busty. It's got those old crank, the old crank windows, you know? Yeah. So you go, he goes out, it's, it's not dark. And he goes into his, out into his car and, and the, and the, the cranks are still there, but the little plastic handle on the end, it's not there. So you got to kind of okay. like grab a hold of it. Remember the old days? You're probably not that yeah, old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to roll the window up and down by grabbing the yeah. flat crank instead of the handle. So he, he gets in there, he rolls the window down about this far. He's got both windows down so he can breathe in there just a little bit. And he's sitting in there with his rifle. And, uh, oh my goodness. He's waiting for this thing to show up, and he says, "He says I don't." I looked away and I looked up, and it was there. I'm, I'm oh my god, I go no look way. at it. He said, "My heart is like pounding out of my chest," and he says, I, "I don't hardly even remember. I remember picking up the gun and getting it out the window and getting my crosshair on this thing, and all of a sudden, I hear this commotion behind me on the other side of the car." He says, "I turn around, and here comes another one." He oh said, goodness. it's coming right at me. And he says, I drop my gun and I grab a hold of the little crank and I'm trying to roll the window up. And it's, I can only get it to cope like a half an inch every time I crank it. And he said, it's not, I, I didn't get it off fast enough. And this thing reaches in and grabs a hold of him and snatches him right to the window. And he says, it didn't say a word to me. He said, but I heard it in my brain. He said, what the hell are you doing? We're just trying to get something to eat. And then it just goes, bang, 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 bang. It just bounces them all over the car. Just no smashes way. Them off. Just smashes them around the car. He passes out. And, oh, my uh, goodness. He wakes up. And uh, that's the end of the story. So. Um, that is, yeah, that is the awesomest story I've ever heard. I never saw him again after that. That was the end. That was the end of the show for them. But uh, these these kind of stories, and then Cliff started reaching Whoa. out to other people and started talking to people in Iowa. He gave me some names of some people that said he he knows what they are. They're they're not a, they're not some kind of primitive ape. Whoa, 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 hold on, hold, so sorry. You have he gave you names of like witnesses in Iowa or uh, of a, a gal? No, it, it was where he lived then. This is in Arkansas. 
Okay. And I don't remember. I think I wrote the name down. It was some gal yeah. who does some channeling with them. And, you know, I have a hard time. It's difficult to. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I'm channeling, you can say pretty much anything. I don't, I kind of don't get into that. A lot of that stuff. I'm not saying it, it's not real, but I've just talked to too many people that channel them and just come up with ridiculous things. So I didn't really want to talk to her. He also went through a hypnosis session to try to regret. I think he regressed to that. Right. That situation because yep. they, they were going to release a CD of, of that session, but it never got released. Like he passed away before it actually happened. He could release it from yeah, what I, I could find out. Oh my goodness. That is, that is so validating. Thank you to hear mm -hmm. that story. That is amazing. I'm sure there's a few listeners that are just blown away. Like, mm -hmm. Wow, that's that's awesome. I think um, I think that mind speak doesn't happen a lot. Yeah, but when when people when you hear it from people, they're going, "Look, I didn't think it, it wasn't my imagination." So that that, yeah. that again, that's just another that's just another piece of the uh, of the pie that we have to deal with. Did he ever mention his his uh, research in Iowa or the Iowa Bigfoot Information Center or anything like that? No, I, I don't okay. recall. Okay. <clears throat> there might be something in the recordings he sent me. Okay. Um, but I don't remember him. I remember him telling me that he used to tour, you go around with the Bigfoot and he told me all about all the posters and everything. But Well, they would go, their their final tour was, they took them all the way out to Michigan and then they ran out of money and had to go back to Iowa <laughs> and that's where they kind of disbanded and then he mm -hmm. moved south more or less. That's summarizing what happened, but, um, wow. So, and, and so eventually how long were you trying to get that, that, uh, people have to, to realize when we say statue or sculpture, imagine a, it's a full size, uh, you know how you see like wildlife taxidermy mounts in a museum. The, the guy who made this mount was the same guy who made, the African elephant uh, taxidermy mount in the uh, Smithsonian American History Museum. He's a museum famous guy from um, from Iowa who now lives in Minneapolis. And Cliff had had to make the a Bigfoot uh, taxidermy mount for him to bring around. Uh, they brought it to the Iowa State Fair in the late seventies to try to raise money for this museum that never happened. Yep. Um, and I've talked to people that as kids, they saw that um, mount in the Iowa State Fair in the late 90s, 70s. And Cliff and Kevin used to sell shirts and posters, and they still had the shirt in their <clears throat> attic. So I've seen like a poster of picture of the actual uh, shirt that and which is it's the poster on a shirt that's on Cliff's book as well. It's fascinating. Um, but you were finally able to get the taxidermy mount. Mm -hmm. And when I saw the photos, I was like, oh, he's taken a U-Haul to Arkansas. Mm -hmm. It's I was like, oh, it's going down. It is so good. I was so, so pumped because I knew Cliff was in Arkansas. Yeah. I was like, it's got to be, dude. You know, I wasn't sure I was going to be able to get it. Yeah. Because um, um, the family was fractured. And, um, but I, I told Cliff, man, I said, Cliff, this thing belongs in a museum, man. Totally. 
And even though, look, if I had a hundred grand to give him, he probably wouldn't take it because you're really, that's his baby. Well, so yeah. I knew when he turned you down, 80, yeah, when you turned out an yeah. $80,000 um, offer. Right. Um, and let me tell you, I, and I yeah. still didn't accept it. Uh, even though I was like, oh my God, just, am I going to actually finally get Cliff's? Because oh, like, yeah. it's not just about the sculpture, it's about Cliff. Right. It's it, it, yeah, that's, that's right. It's not right. just about the sculpture. Totally. Right. right. Totally. Right. This is it's an artifact because it's yeah. I call it artifact because it's it's a part of a Bigfoot story. So even though it's uh, not based on yes. the one he saw, it's the guy who made I mean let me tell you, when you look up at this thing, the hands, the feet, it looks like it would just turn on and look at you. That's how amazing uh. this thing is. And of course the story behind Cliff's attack is uh even more amazing than the actual sculpture. So I that still awesome. couldn't, I still did not accept it until I had, we had loaded it up. God, we were so lucky to have, there were like five people there to help us pick this thing up. Okay. Take it <laughs> off the base and carry it into the truck. It only weighs like 150 pounds. The whole oh, really? Take it That's off the funny. base. Yeah. And, uh, and I still, I was, the whole way I'm driving back, I'm like, yeah, I could get into an accident and get killed and this thing could get wet. Right, yeah, yeah. accepting it until it was in my prepaid storage facility, covered up, closed right. it, put the lock on it, I went, boom. <sighs> okay, we got it. Sounds good. Um, this has been an amazing uh, conversation. I, David, I could talk to you for hours, but this has been amazing. Um, you have put in all of the puzzle pieces for me for the story of Cliff and more. Uh, thank you so much. Um, I have a feeling we'll, we'll be in, in touch, uh, after this mm -hmm. for sure. Um, can you do a quick plug? Cause we only have a few minutes left. Can you do a quick plug for your museum and just like, what are things there that people are not going to see at other places? Um, there's gotta be like unique. What's what? Sell the museum to the listeners. Yeah. Let's get them there. And well, we, we have we have another full model there made by a police officer. It's a beautiful model. We call him Raven. That was made for oh, his yeah. hiding. I have uh, Tom Slick's expedition gear from his actual oh, awesome. ex expeditions in the Himalayas. I've got his stuff there. Peter Burns' camera, bunch of stuff he wow. had in the Himalayas. I got that from the family of Tom Slick. That's amazing. Um, oh, there's so many photos and sketches and breaks and I don't know how many different casts. We have full illuminated maps of Florida and Georgia sighting maps in the museum. You can see them in full color and it tells you what kind of sighting. Was it up close? Was it far away? Um, then we have also maps of the repeated sightings. They keep coming back over and over. Is oh, uh, Clifford's Bigfoot on display right now? Sorry. No, it's going to, it's going to go in a new museum. So much new museum. It, yeah. I love to I put it in this museum. I just don't have, I'm, I'm out of room. And I'm okay. not going to jam Cliff's baby in a corner and go, oh, there's Cliff's. Oh, no. yeah. No one puts Cliff's baby in a corner. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. That's awesome. Right? Yeah? Okay. It's going to go in a, a new museum that I've been working for years on. Whoa. That's going to encompass you know, all these things we've talked about. Where's um, that going to be? I, I'm searching for a building. I've been searching for a building for a year. It's in I'm Georgia, though? I don't – I'd like it to be in Georgia because – I don't want to have to drive. It could be in Georgia. It might be in Pigeon Forge. It could be in Florida. Oh, do Pigeon Forge or Gatlinburg? Holy yeah. mackerel, dude. Yeah. So that would be. Matter of fact, the wife and I are headed there 
in a week, 10 days for four days to uh, meet um, realtors and uh, find out what buildings are uh, oh, wow. going to be available. Do, do I want it on the main road or off the road? So that we're going on a trip yeah. just to figure that out. Amazing, David. Yeah, but it's going to compass all of it. Is that when I tell you that this world is more amazing than just looking for a, a strange ape, this new, this new museum is going to bring all of it to you, the best I can do. Wow. Um, ancient civilizations, giants, dogman, awesome. Bigfoot, oh, UFO man. witness, abduction cases, real artifacts. That's all I do. This is my job. You I rock. reach out to UFO abductees. Do you still have the you shirt rock, you're dude. wearing? Yeah, I still have that shirt. Can I put it for your, you know, Bigfoot was licking my pots and pans. Can I use those? Yeah, I still got it in my hand camping gear. You know, this oh, is amazing. I, so it's just collecting. It just takes years to do all this. I'm a one man show, one man yeah. band. And my wife, thank God, my wife for my wife who supports me. She's on board. It sounds like, which is amazing. Go, yeah. go her. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm lucky. Yeah, I could not do this without. Oh yeah. Wife. David, thank you so much for coming on. I'm going to go ahead and we're going to cut it here, but uh, you are awesome. And I love what Expedition Bigfoot is doing. Hopefully I can uh, get down there from Iowa someday or wherever the new uh, museum is to see Cliffs Bigfoot, of course. And um, have a uh, great night, sir. You're welcome. You take care. Thank you for listening to Bigfoot Society. If you like the show, please review and rate it five stars on iTunes. Hit the share button and send this episode to all your friends on social media. Subscribe to Bigfoot Society wherever you listen to podcasts. It doesn't cost a thing. Pick up a Bigfoot Society shirt or enamel pin over on our Etsy page and people will tell you all about their Bigfoot sightings when you wear it. At least that's what people tell us. That's what happens. If you'd like to become an official member of Bigfoot Society with a membership card, a community of like-minded individuals, and extra content each month, then please consider becoming a supporter of the podcast by going to www.patreon.com forward slash the Bigfoot Society. Thanks for listening.